Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in scripture and dependent on God's spirit. Following Jesus happens in everyday life, work, school, varsity, home, and in our relationships. Yet, how do we follow Jesus in all the busyness, emotion, and complexity of today? No matter what today holds, the scriptures consistently call us to great hope for this day in light of that day, the day of Jesus' triumphant return, an extraordinary day that brings hope to death, suffering, and injustice, a day that calls us to be sober and vigilant this day and promises great reward to those who long for the return of their King. Please continue listening for today's message from our Return of Jesus series. All right, the good stuff. We're reading from 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11. I'm reading from the ESV. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the Word of the Lord. Thank you, Inga, that was amazing. No, it's fine, give it to whoever. Who wants a mic? We've got mics going, no. <laughs> Thank you for that. I feel like I don't have to preach. She does such a great job of reading that text. Wow. Um, Inge and I actually just recently completed a Bible study on 1 Thessalonians. So when they asked me to preach, I was like, is it the text in 1 Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians? Because 1 Thessalonians, I am in. 2 Thessalonians, I'm gonna need to do a little bit more work. But it was very cool to have you reading. Yeah, it feels like a full circle moment for us, being able to go through this text again. Also, I feel like it's unfair to have Zoe come up and do announcements before I preach because her energy is just like another level. After Holiday Club, my two girls who are at Holiday Club, they're nine and 11, they now have a phrase in our house. They'll be like, we just need Zoe energy for this moment. There's just like a level of energy that comes and we'll be doing something the same. They're like, mom, you need to bring Zoe energy to this. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try. So I'll try bring some Zoe energy. You saw it was like that. I think I might just disappoint you. Um, 
That's it, that's it. Uh, so if I haven't met you, my name is Jane. I do work here at Common Ground Church. I have the privilege of being part of the leadership team here. And um, my focus this year has actually been overseeing the women's ministry. So I get this beautiful opportunity to create space for women to come together, to be encouraged, to experience God's presence, and just to have opportunity to use some of the beautiful gifts and talents that he's given to them. And so that's something that I get to do. And while I'm here with the mic, I'm gonna plug one of our next women's events. We've got a ladies' night away coming up, the 8th to the 9th of September. Uh, it's 24 hours out in Bridges in Franchuk, and the purpose of it is really just to spend time with God. I think the world can be so loud and there's so many voices competing for our attention. And that night specifically is gonna be a, a day and a night where we just turn the dials down on everything else that's talking to us. And we're just still, and we're gonna listen to the whispers of God who is talking all the time. And we're trusting He will speak to us and that we'll get to share that as a community together. So if you're interested, tomorrow in the mailer, we'll have a sign-up form where you can sign up and find out more about that. But I hope that we'll get to see you there. Uh, it's a real joy of mine to continue this series on the return of Jesus. Um, this week I've been prepping it. I was one of the, the handful of staff members left behind. The rest of the team were raptured up to Joburg where they really got to enjoy the glory. Well, are you hearing? It's my end times jokes. I'm just getting some swarming up the crowd here. So, <laughs> uh, so they really got to enjoy and God spoke to them so profoundly. God was with me too. Uh, he was with me this week as I was prepping this sermon. Um, I got to be mom to my kids and just be with them and look after them and love them and release Mike to be able to just min to be ministered to. And it was beautiful. He really was. So I'm very grateful for that and grateful for this opportunity. Um, and this Return of Jesus series, I must admit, I was quite keen to be involved because this is something that's definitely piqued my curiosity. I remember being a student quite young in my faith reading the Bible for the first time and finding out Jesus is coming back. I thought he only came once. And then you read the Bible, you're like, what, he's coming again? I thought I'd kind of missed that moment. So there might be an opportunity where I actually get to see him face to face again. I remember trying to read Revelations, but you've got to get to like a spiritual maturity level, like 10 to be able to like fully, I'm not quite there yet. I, may, I don't know where I am, but as a student, I was like, I do not understand what I'm reading. And so a friend of mine recommended a book series called the Left Behind series. Some of you, if you're slightly older in the room, can I say that? You might recognize this. For some students, you might not have heard of this, but this is an epic saga, 12 books that take you through the end of times. And it follows this one family as they go through the end of days. And it is uh, by the author Tim LaHaye. It is fiction, it's Christian fiction. It's based on revelations and some of what it said, but I don't think it like lines up theologically necessarily. But what it does do is it just creates this beautiful picture of what it might look like. And so I remember, I'm part of bookworm. I was like, 12 books, I can't wait to get in. Some of you have like, Revelations is only one. I'd much rather do one and be done. I'm like, no, I got to live through it 12 different ways. Um, but what was amazing, because then I looked up an article, because I don't have the books anymore, so I just like Googled it to try and find an image. I read an article that said that this Left Behind series was one of the first Christian fiction series to become number one on the bestsellers list. And publishers suddenly realized, oh wow, Christian fiction might actually have a place in mainstream uh, books, mainstream publishing. They hadn't actually seen this kind of popularity before in Christian books, and I know why. Because this topic is extremely interesting. I think all of us as Christians at some point go, so what is it gonna look like? What will the end times be like? I actually think every person on this earth is asking, will the earth 
go on forever or will there be an end? We look at global warming and there's so many of us going, is this gonna be it? Is this what's gonna end us or will we carry on? So this is a question that many of us ask. And in our passage this morning, the Thessalonians are asking similar questions. So last week we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verses 13 to 18, where Paul was responding to a query that the believers had had about friends of theirs who had already died. And the question was, are they gonna miss out on the second coming because now they've died, or will there be hope for them? And Paul reassured them that there's infinite hope for those who belong to Jesus, because those who have died and those who are still alive will be with Jesus forever at his second coming. We've moved on to chapter five and it follows on from from where he moved off. And now we're not focusing on those who've died and how we as believers grieve, but now he's moving on to those of us who are still alive and how we live. It seems that the believers in Thessalonica were unsure whether or not they were at that moment living in the end times. Some had started to say, no, Christ has returned. And this had confused the church community. And so they asked Paul for clarity, has Jesus returned? How will we know and what should we do in light of that? It reminds me of the passage that Steve alluded to if you were at church last week. He spoke about Acts 1, where Jesus ascended into heaven, he disappears in the clouds in the sky, and then immediately angels say to the disciples, why are you still watching the sky? Get on with your work. He's gone that way, he'll be back the same way soon enough, but you have a job to do before that time. How many of us get fixated on the sky and forget we have a job to do before Jesus returns. I think part of the reason why that book series Left Behind can be unhelpful is that it has us looking at the sky, so to speak, focusing on how things are going to end, rather than prioritizing the time that we have before that moment and the work that God has called us to do. The Thessalonians are looking up at the sky and they're asking Paul, is this it, is this it? And Paul responds to their question with our passage. He responds by using contrasting words and analogies to explain what the believers can expect and how unbelievers will experience the same event. It's as if Paul is wanting to highlight two responses to the same event. And so this morning we're going to, uh, this evening, we're gonna look at the different comparisons found in the passage. First, we'll look at the two responses to the return of Jesus. Second, we'll look at the two identities that he speaks to. And third, we'll look at two ways to live today in light of that coming day. And church, the purpose of this evening for us as believers is to allow the return of Jesus to be a comfort and an encouragement to us in the way that we live. Today, as you leave church, your life can be changed knowing that Jesus will indeed return. This isn't us looking at the sky and trying to figure out what those end times might look like or listening out for a trumpet, although you never know. Maybe today, will he let me get through the sermon or will he arrive? I don't know, it might be better if he arrives, but I've already done this twice. I'm like, Lord, you can come, we've done this. No, we don't know when he's gonna come, but if it is today, I'd be very happy. But the point is, he's coming, whether it's today or tomorrow or in 100 years, and we get to live our lives changed forever by that beautiful truth. So firstly, let's look at two responses to how it will all begin, the beginning of the end. Let's read verses one to four. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
while people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So Paul's first contrast is between those who are surprised by it and those who are aware. I've heard some believers say that this passage means that we're all gonna be surprised by the moment because it will come like a thief in the night, but that's not what the verse says. It says you yourselves are fully aware that it will come unexpectedly. So it won't come as a surprise, even if you don't know when it's coming. But for those who are unaware of the reality of God and his son Jesus, his second coming will be the most surprising thing they experience in their lives. If you don't believe in Jesus, you've built your life completely on something else. Your hopes and your dreams, they're based on something or someone else. Your very purpose will become meaningless with the reality that Jesus is in fact real. In that moment, he will be real, real, like in the flesh real. They will face him and see him and realize he is who he said he is they'll be completely caught off guard. It will come as a massive shock. In fact, Paul likens it to being robbed, that it will come like a thief in the night, which is an analogy I think many of us can relate to, that surprise of a thief. None of us were sent a message saying, hey, look, I'm gonna hit your house tonight. I'm coming for the TV, but if you could leave some cell phones around, just like in the kitchen, we don't wanna come into your bedroom, that would be great. Like no one gets that message before they are robbed. It comes as a surprise. And I don't wanna make light of the analogy because I know that for many of us, this is a very real experience. We've experienced being robbed in our houses and we can still remember the moment of surprise. Heart in your throat, beating so fast, adrenaline pumping, cold sweat, something's wrong. When Mike went away last year to Madagascar, he doesn't go away often. And so the first night that he was away, I was kind of struggling to fall asleep. I'm not used to him not being at home. And... I noticed a message from Princeton Security on my cell phone alerting our complex that two men had entered our premises suspiciously. And so I jumped out of bed, ran through to our girl's bedroom where I can see into the garden and I saw two shadows cross. And straight away I thought, oh my gosh, did I close the security gate? Like we got a slam lock. Did I slam lock it or did I just close the front door? I don't remember. Then I thought, did I close the kitchen windows because they got out into the garden and so If I didn't open it, there's a chance that they could come in, but now I don't remember if I opened it or closed it. And do I wake up the kids and put them all in one room so that they're safe in case they come in? Or do I, yeah, now you guys are like, yo, yo, surprise. Thank you to that person. That was a very good practical example. That, I didn't plan that. I'm not trying to surprise people. But now you have the feeling, hey, your heart, your heart, you see. But I remember that moment, like, what do I do? And you sit going, it's too late. It's too late to go and close the gate. It's too late to close the windows. They are already here. I remember that feeling. It's like the feeling you felt now when that door slammed. (gasps) What just happened? Everything suddenly shifts. I'm so grateful for Princeton. They arrived in record time. They caught the guys, they didn't come in. But I'm telling you, that feeling, that adrenaline, that shock, It took me a very long time to fall asleep that night. And that's what the experience will be like for those who don't know Jesus, yet infinitely more. He will come and they will face him and suddenly everything they thought was secure and right will be undone when they realize the truth. 
And yet Paul gives this contrast. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. None of us can predict the day the Lord will return. I feel like God like chuckles at me whenever I go, oh, maybe today. He's like, ha ha, as if you think you'll know. Um, but Because even Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, verse 36, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And yet Paul reminds us that we are aware that the Lord will come, right? We won't be surprised when we hear a trumpet sound in the sky. In fact, we'll be the ones going, hallelujah, he's here. I knew he was coming. I didn't know when, but I knew that he was gonna come and he has arrived. We will be prepared to go out with joy and singing and dancing because our Lord would have returned. There's a reassurance for us. We're not gonna be caught off guard. Yes, it'll come and we'll go, oh, it's now, but we'll be excited. We won't be terrified. Jesus carries on in Matthew 24 and says, you know, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. He would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. See, if I had known those men would break into my complex that night, Mike would have delayed his trip by a day, easy. We would have phoned Princeton, we would have created an ambush. We would have checked that the gate was working. I would have closed all my windows and doors. I can tell you that. We would have had such a different experience of the whole event because we would have been prepared. Jesus says we should be ready for that time to come. We don't need to know when it will happen to know that it will happen. So the event of the second coming will come as a surprise to the unbeliever. In fact, verse three describes it so well. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Here is our next contrast, the sense of peace and security with very real destruction that will occur. Two different responses for the believer and the unbeliever. It reminds me of the story of Noah found in Genesis 7. Noah is aware of impending doom. God has revealed to him his plan and his purposes. God's given him a task to do and preparation for the time. He is secure, he's at peace. God has revealed to him what's going on. And yet the people around him scoff. They don't believe that disaster is coming. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Paul describes this moment as labor pains coming upon a pregnant woman. And there was a funny moment in the 8.30 service. We asked a mom to do the Bible reading. And when she got to this point, she like stopped for a minute. There was like a five second pause. And then she said, and they will not escape. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is a bit too close to home for this woman. She's got three young kids and she's like, Amen, Jesus. If you're a pregnant woman, if you've ever been pregnant, you know it is inevitable. The contractions begin and you're like, this is it. This is it. The only outcome here is birth and there is immense pain to come before that moment. <clears throat> and this point highlights another contrast that Paul uses to describe the different outcome for believer and unbeliever. The Bible says there's destruction for those who do not believe in Christ when he returns inevitable judgment and wrath. And I know that can sound quite jarring for some of us. 
makes us uncomfortable. Maybe there's some in the room that are saying, well, I haven't quite said yes to Jesus and what you're saying is making me uncomfortable. That's okay. Sometimes scripture says really uncomfortable things. But as a church, we believe we're gonna preach the whole of scripture, not just the easy stuff. And really, I want you to know that, that this moment of destruction, it comes within a much greater window of God's grace. Yes, we're speaking to inevitable judgment and wrath, but God is a God of grace. And so it's okay if this is jarring, it's all right. For the believer, verse nine says, but God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This moment is inevitable, it is coming. It will bring judgment and wrath for some. But if you have put your hope in Jesus and his salvation, your experience of this event is not one of fear, but one of encouragement and security. He comes to save. The second point we're gonna look at is two identities because Paul goes on to explain why he feels like the Thessalonians should actually be encouraged by the Lord's return, not confused or scared by it because he reminds them of their identity in Christ. Verse four to five. <clears throat> but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So Paul is now highlighting two different identities, those who live in darkness and those who walk in the light. Two different ways of living and being, two different ways of seeing the world and responding to others. One way is unbelief. God does not exist. What he says is unimportant. I find my meaning and my purpose in other things and when I die, that's it. The Bible describes this as living in darkness. In fact, the Bible often uses the analogy of light and dark when describing the difference between those who know God and those who don't. I'd love you all to close your eyes for a minute. And I know at this point you're like, you've already banged a door, Jane. How can we trust you when we close? There's nothing scary coming, but just close your eyes. I want you to imagine that you're in a dark room. <clears throat> you can't see what's around you. Everything is hidden. There is actually someone coming into the venue now. So if the door does slam, I'm, I apologize. But you don't know that because your eyes are closed. You can't see him walking down the aisle right now. If I asked you to get up and leave this room, you would have no idea of how to get there. You don't know who's next to you. You don't know who you're gonna walk over. Everything is hidden. You're unaware of what's going on. You don't know which way to go. You're stuck. Now open your eyes. When you switch a light on in a dark room, everything's illuminated. Now you can see the people around you. If I asked you to get up and go, it would be much easier for you. You can see who you need to go past. You can see where you can go. You've got perspective. You've got greater sense of direction. Light even brings warmth and safety with it. Not knowing God is described as darkness and Jesus is described as our wonderful light. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. John 12 verse 36. Jesus entered into our world and declared himself to be the light of the world, revealing God our Father, illuminating his love for us and showing us clearly the way of salvation. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8 verse two. 
And so when we are faced with Jesus, when we believe that God is gracious and compassionate ruler and creator, and we choose to follow him, we are then identified as his. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. John 12 verse 36. When you believe in the power and redemption of Jesus, you change who you are as a person. You're not your own anymore. You make decisions, you don't make decisions based on your thoughts or feelings, you're now his. You long to know God more, you consider him when you make your plans, you follow his lead. God is the one now who gives you meaning and purpose in this life. You are now children of the light. God is your father. The contrast is that those who do not believe that Jesus is the light walk in the darkness still unaware of his presence and power and not willing to let his light have any sway in their own lives. So part of Jesus' return is to judge those who still live in darkness, who choose to believe in any other truth but God. John 3 verse 19 says, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. The Thessalonians are encouraged by Paul that their identity as children of the light protects them from the judgment that will come when Jesus returns. They're saved by the truth that they are not children of God through Jesus. They belong to God and he will save them from wrath. And that's an important point. I think sometimes for us it can be hard to consider fully the holiness of God, the fact that he is so perfect and so righteous that none of us can stand up to his holiness. And it's hard to hear the reality that some people will experience the wrath of God. But our God has shown compassion in sending Jesus 2,000 years ago to proclaim his message of salvation and to live out his redemption plan through the cross. Everyone who hears this message needs to decide whether they will choose to walk in the way of Jesus or walk away from him. And there'll be consequence either way. For those in the room who are not yet Christian, can I just say we live in a unique period of time. The Son of God has been revealed to us. You can read about him in the New Testament. And we have time to choose now whether or not we will trust this testimony and follow him. Before he returns, there is time. That is God's grace to us. But this passage warns us, time is running out. Jesus will come again. And if his first coming was a declaration of his salvation, his second coming is his declaration of judgment and justice. And Ian will actually preach more into this next week. The fact that the second coming of Jesus is the time where he comes to bring justice to this earth. I think sometimes we think we have all the time in the world to consider Jesus. We hear about him multiple times, like, ah, oh, I'll think about it. Uh, let me read, maybe I'll read a book or I'll, uh, I'll look at, I'll read through John, but I'm not sure if I'm gonna make any decisions yet. I've got time. Can I just gently challenge this belief? This decision is too important to put off for tomorrow. What is your response to Jesus today? And for those of us who are Christian, I think we know we don't sit smug in our seats like, yeah, yeah I'm gonna be saved, you know. We know there's actually nothing we've done to get us a seat at God's table. We are justified and righteous. How crazy is that? We are justified and righteous before a holy God through Jesus and because of his sacrifice. This is God's grace to us. 
It's only Jesus who makes a way for us to experience the profound love that we get to experience, which allows us to call out Abba, Father. So when we look to God, we look at him with thanks and with humility because he's chosen to call us his sons and daughters and we get to be called children of the light. So let's look at two different ways to live in light of this beautiful truth. I'm sure the Thessalonians were encouraged by Paul's response and yet his words also bring a sense of urgency. On the one hand, no, Jesus hasn't come yet, you haven't missed out. But on the other hand, you do need to be prepared for that day because it is coming. And so Paul concludes his passage speaking on how we should live in light of what he's told us. If you're children of the light, if you're declared righteous by God through Jesus, if you're aware that Jesus will return, how does it inform the life that you live today? Verses six to 10. So then let us not sleep, and that really hits me hard because I love sleep. I just want you to know that now. This is a hard verse for me to say to you. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So the last contrast in this passage speak to the two different ways of living in light of what we know of Christ's return. Will we be asleep or awake? Will we act with drunkenness or be sober? Jesus commands his believers repeatedly to be awake, to be ready, to be on guard, to be watchful, to be vigilant. Luke 21 verse 34 to 36 says, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Watch yourselves, stay awake. These words describe an anticipation of what's to come. Are you aware that Jesus is returning? I am so grateful for this series because it has reminded me again, yes, this isn't it. Jesus is coming and the best is to come when he returns. Or like the passage alludes to, have you become distracted by the cares of this world and spiritually sleepy and unaware? You see, the second coming doesn't take obedient disciples off guard. It surprises and traps those who are spiritually asleep and unprepared for the Lord's return. I think of the parable of the 10 virgins in Matthew 25. Five were wise. They brought extra oil for their lamp, prepared in case the bridegroom is delayed. And five are described as foolish. They bring only what's in the oil can, in the lamp. And inevitably the bridegroom is delayed. And when he finally arrives, only those who came prepared and ready are the ones who join him at the wedding banquet. So what does this mean for you? Have you found a spiritual sleepiness has descended on your days? Do you lack motivation to get into scripture? Are you sluggish around your prayer? Do the voices of this world speak a lot louder than the whispers of God? Are there other more exciting things you get to come to on a Sunday night rather than church? Speaking to the choir here. Are you picking up your phone before you pick up your Bible? And don't tell me that your your Bible's on your phone, right? 
doesn't count. Getting notifications. <clears throat> Paul's encouragement here to us is to wake up. It's like he's saying, persevere in your devotion to God. Keep at it. Remain awake to the Spirit. Come alive in God's presence. Be vigilant in the way that you think and act. Allow the revelation of Jesus to guide your life. And I must admit, I find this a challenge because I can quite easily let other things take hold of my attention before Jesus. But I want to be vigilant in my spiritual walk. I want to be prepared and ready for when Jesus comes. I want him to find me ready and excited, anticipating that moment when I can praise him face to face. How about you? If you took a look at your spiritual life and if you were to audit it, how are you doing? Has drowsiness maybe gotten the better of you? And what can you do to change it? I find the disciples such a helpful example for me in times like this because they just show that they are so human like us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, they let sleep overtake them. They literally fall asleep on the night before Jesus' most important day on earth, the day of his crucifixion. And isn't Jesus amazing? He's not surprised by their sluggishness. He has grace for their state, but he calls to them as he calls to us today. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And this leads us to drunkenness versus being sober. And if you've ever had the experience of interacting with a drunk person, you can see why this analogy is so powerful because Paul's speaking to a spiritual condition that is so alike to drunkenness. A drunk person is not fully in control of their body or their words. They're under the influence of another substance which alters how they see the world. Everything becomes a bit sluggish. They can't think straight. They're easily overcome by emotion. Tears everywhere, I love you. There's no ability to make rational decisions. I'm just, I mean, none of you know what this is like. Like you've just seen other people <laughs> somewhat intoxicated. And so you're just remembering those interactions, surely. Um, but we know what a drunk person is like. And spiritual drunkenness happens when we become intoxicated by our culture, by media, by lies of this world, by our jobs, by our family or our friends, basically anything other than Jesus and his words of truth. And so our ability to see spiritual things going on around us, it's diminished. We become preoccupied with lesser things, which seems so important at the time, but actually in light of eternity, they're, they're foolish, they're fruitless. And I can tell you, I can see many times where I have been drunk, drunk on approval, and so I make decisions based on what people will think of me and not on God. Or drunk on achievement, so suddenly I find myself so insecure when I fail. Or drunk on social media and the allure of the perfect life. And it's just like God to put a picture for me yesterday, and I'm gonna put it on the screen. This is what I saw on Instagram. I mean, who's not a little woozy right now, right? I was like, a black house, I really want a black house. How amazing is that? It's just so dark and brooding. And, Oh, a library full of books. It's like the Beauty and the Beast come to life. That was my favorite Disney movie. I was just like, I want that. I wanna take a book from that shelf. I wanna get into that bath. I wanna just sit in the peace and the quiet and look at the tree. I'm telling you, I was intoxicated, okay? This is what drunk looks like for me, spiritual drunkenness. Please, please turn it off. They are so distracted. They are not looking at me anymore. It's not just me. You see, everyone's like, yeah. It looks amazing. I then looked at the comments. Guys, that is an AI generated house. That's not even a real house. They got me good. 
they got me good. I was not being rational in that moment. When you look closely, you're like, ah, computer generated. Spiritual drunkenness, intoxication, that's what it can look like, okay? That's what it can look like. And can I tell you, that house in and of itself is not bad. A beautiful house is not bad, but you know what it does to me? Discontent, jealousy, greed. It brings out ungodliness in me. It just, it, it takes over my mind. It alters how I see the world for a moment. And I have to stop myself and go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what God wants for me. And so Paul is warning us to be aware of this, to be sober in our attitudes and behavior. We need to have sound mind, good judgment, guarding against ungodliness. The more time we spend in Jesus' presence, allowing his words to shape us, the easier it is to judge how we spend our time, our money, and the decisions we make. And, and I know that when we decide to follow Jesus and walk in his ways, it's not necessarily easy. It takes patience. It takes practice. It takes perseverance. And so Paul actually speaks to this because it can be hard to think, like, what does sober look like in our spiritual walk? And he says we can be sober when we have put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So our faith is integral to our soberness. Our belief, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he did what he said he has done. And that belief, if you truly believe that Jesus is Lord, he's savior, changes your whole life. So your faith is integral in how you live. And not only faith, but love is important because we believe who Jesus is and we love him because of it. Jesus, our gracious redeemer, the one who sticks closer than a brother, the one who loves us to the point of shedding his blood for us. We love him when we know who he is. We have affection and admiration for our God. So we don't only wanna do what he says because he is God. We wanna do what he says because we wanna please him, because we love him, we're devoted to him. Everything that we, want, that we do, we, we wanna do it to show him our praise and affection. We wanna give him our attention, the best of ourselves, his opinion matters. See, soberness is not being like fuddy-duddy, no thanks, not for me, dull and weak. Soberness is saying, I'm not gonna be silly about this one and only life I get to live. God is way too important for that. Not just anything or anyone, the most beautiful house on Instagram cannot sway me because God is the ultimate source of wisdom and guidance and satisfaction. And I aim to show him my love and devotion in the way I act around him and others. And the beauty of awakeness and soberness is that it actually encourages other people in the faith too. It builds them up. When you know God and you love God and it just spills over you, you're just, you're wonderful to be around. You know those kind of people, right? You chat to them and they're like, it doesn't matter what's going on in their life. They could be going through really hard times and they're just like, God is so good. I just love him, he is with me, he is constant, he's never left me. Their faith and their love encourage me. It builds up my faith. And this, this way we get to live out verse 11. Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I want to end by talking about the hope of salvation that Paul says should be our helmet protecting our minds. An underlying concern that the Thessalonians have is that when Jesus returns, they'll be found lacking. They will be unprepared. And their fear is that if the second coming has already happened, they're just not gonna cut it. 
And the beauty is that Paul ends his passage with a reminder to never doubt your standing in God. And it's the same for us as it was for the Thessalonians. He says, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. The return of Jesus marks the culmination of our salvation. Saved once and for all through Jesus' death on the cross, he saves us from our past. Everything that's gone before, we are saved from. He saves us from our sins and our failures today. And he will save us from the coming wrath of God at Jesus' return. Luke 21 verse 25. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now Christian, when these things happen, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. How beautiful is that? In a passage full of contrast, there is one thing that is constant. Jesus is our rescuing God. He gives salvation to all who call in his name. He comes to save and redeem his loved ones. He won't abandon us at the end, but will gather us to live with him. Nothing, not even the end of time, will be able to separate us from the love of God. So before I close in prayer, I just wanna remind us, both the believer and the unbeliever in the room of the hope we've heard in this message. For the believer, we've been reassured that our acceptance of Jesus is a saving grace to us both now and forever. Let us not take this for granted. Let us live excited to see Jesus again one day, living our lives purposefully today in light of that day. And for the unbeliever, be assured that God is a God who loves you and who longs to save you. 2 Peter 9 verse three says that the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I pray that today you will see him for who he truly is. I'd love to call the band up. We're gonna close in prayer. Won't you stand with me as we pray? Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when we come to Jesus, we walk in the light. And that through his sacrifice, his death on the cross, we get to be called children of the light. Salvation is ours now and at the end of time. We are so grateful, God. Thank you. God, I pray for those who have today decided to follow Jesus. Won't you show them the light of your salvation? I pray that you'll allow them to experience your very presence with them. Holy Spirit, won't you come and meet with them now? Won't you reassure them that you are their father and that you love them? And won't you encourage them with community to rally around them? And God, I pray for those of us who know and love you already, won't you help us? We don't want to take you for granted. We don't wanna fall prey to sleepiness and drunkenness in our spiritual lives. 
wake us up to your reality. Give us grace to live life fully devoted to your will and your way. Jesus, you are such a treasure and to know and to love you is our greatest privilege. Help us to live our lives fully aware of that day that is coming. Amen.